Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. If you listened to this show yesterday, you know we are kicking off our coverage of the 2021 Australian Open with a conversation about some of the dark horses heading into the year's first Grand Slam. Of course, all of us so excited for the action to get underway. We're hoping it starts as scheduled, and it seems like all indications are that it will. And so with that in mind, on today's show, we continue our conversation about the dark horses and are joined once again by pro tennis commentator. Abigail Johnson, who on today's show joins me for a discussion about some of the non-top 30 men we think are capable of making the second week of this event. We also talk about some of the non-top 10 players. I'm not going to say there's a lot of them, but there's more than a few, a healthy amount, who we think could surprise all of us and make that run to a quarterfinal, semifinal, maybe even final of this event. It is, of course, a fantastic conversation. It was so fun having Abigail on the podcast. Hopefully, we will have her multiple times throughout this 2021 season. Uh, But, of course, again, so many fascinating storylines heading into the year's first Grand Slam. We will try and cover them all here as the action gets underway in Australia. Quick reminder to all of you listeners, if you want to get in on that action, be sure to turn to our friends at DraftKings to hear more information about what they are offering all of our Crack Rackets listeners. Go listen to our GSP Ace of the Day segments, which, of course, we will have for you each and every day throughout this Australian Open. Also, be on the lookout for our coverage of this weekend's ITA National Indoor Event. The women playing in Stillwater, Oklahoma this weekend. Eight of the top teams in the country. I will be on the play-by-play call each and every day throughout the event. I hope you join us as well. But what are you here to listen for today? Some Australian Open preview content. So, without further ado, let's get to part two of my conversation with pro tennis commentator Abigail Johnson. I was more disciplined on the men's side. I have only two picks for you here. Ugo Umber, who I think it's a pretty obvious case. Uh, so, you know, uh, oh, perfect. I'm glad we had overlap there. Let's start there then. Why is he the guy for you? Yeah, it's funny because he's literally the first name on my list. Maybe because he's so close to the edge of the top 30, though. So he's actually snagged that seeding, which could protect him in the first couple of rounds, get him a little bit of form under his belt to capitalize on. Uh, But he was just such a weapon at times last year in every department. You know, the forehand is a bullet at times, but also his comfortability at the net and some of the insane angles that he can pull off from the forecourt uh he can really stretch opponents out i remember you know not too long ago him seeing like seeing him give djokovic the run around you know and he's he doesn't seem intimidated the, the one concern i have for him is we've yet to to really see him make a splash over best of five sets but my my thing with him there is with someone that talented and with someone who has that kind of staying power it has to happen at some point so for this category you know for for making second week which would require about three wins and he's got himself an outside seeding as well i think he's a very good shout to get into that stage yeah i i I think that's a really good uh case for him i i would say you know, again, just by his success down the home stretch as well, how confident he must be. And just, it just seems to work. I mean, I know I, 
I know he's kind of like, he kind of looks like he's five ten, five eleven on the court. He's quietly <laughs> like six two, six three, six four. He's team, yeah. you know, he's team bad posture along with myself, which I always appreciate. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I I do think he's a guy who just with the confidence he's had, and if memory serves me correct, I think he's made a fourth week at Wimbledon before. So he has made the second week of a Grand Slam early in his career. I'll look that up as we go. It was either him or Mute. I think it was him. Yeah, I'm I think pretty it was sure. Him. He, yeah, they I mean, all play not, not gone beyond quarters, but yeah, yeah I, I do remember a second week in there. I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, I want to say it was a fourth round. And yeah, I think that's a good one. I think Sinner and Alcaraz are in their own category. They don't really count because it's like they're, you know, Sinner just did it as well at the French, and they're going to both be doing it all the time during their career if things continue at the trend they're at. The guys in this category are the guys who, if you are someone who likes to wager with our friends at DraftKings, the moment you wager on them, they're going to lose. The moment you bet against them, they're going to win. Are Jan Leonard Struff, Miomir Kesmenovic, uh, and uh, Sasha Bublik. Like the moment you have confidence in any of them, they're going to let you down. The moment you doubt one of them, they're going to, you know, either one of those serving performances or Kesmenovic just kind of does his thing. So those are all players I would kind of float in there. Am I missing anyone? Anyone else you have? I mean, I just want to say a word on JLS, Jan Leonard Streff. I've been <laughs> championing him for the last two seasons, and I feel like <laughs> the too. more I mention him, the more I mention him, kind of the less he pushes through, and I'm like, I've got to shut my mouth here because I'm not helping him at all. Um, but, yeah, he, he's had some good form to start this season, but I, I wasn't confident enough for the reasons you specify. You know, if you put the expectation there, suddenly – I mean, it's not jinxing it, but somehow he just doesn't seem to deliver when you actually put his name down. So I've left that. Um, <laughs> but I I did have an eye on, you know, Marin Cilic, former finalist, not in great form, you know, ha- has lost his last few matches, but consistently comes through at the Australian Open. So he's gone fourth round or beyond, I think, the last three years here. And that familiarity can do a lot. Um, with Chilich as well, obviously multiple times a Grand Slam finalist, a Grand Slam champion. He's someone that can kind of, I mean, I know the courts have got slower in recent years, but he's someone who can really kind of cut through those conditions anyway. Um, and he's someone that's going to back himself. I mean, last year, I think last year he went to um, fourth round and lost to B- maybe Bautista Regat, uh, but it was in five sets. So it, he went the distance anyway before he went out. I wasn't entirely confident putting his name down, but I thought just with his history at the event, it would be wrong to completely overlook him just based on his form coming in. As I've said, sometimes it can be helpful to have that bit of rest time and indeed to have those losses ahead of the Grand Slam so that you know exactly what you need to work on coming into the big event. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think it's a good name. One other I would throw out there would be Cam Nori, just because, you know, yes, he is now team uk but he's from new zealand i believe or i believe he was born in new zealand and yep. obviously i know what this slam means to him and quietly third round last year at the u.s open looked really good at some of the indoor hardcore events played well in delray before losing to sebastian corda i i just like his game it's just tricky it's tricky like he just he finds ways to win and i mentioned ita early always going to find a way to plug some college tennis in there for <laughs> tcu horn frog obviously but I, i'm not saying he's going to win the event 
Sure. I just just keep an eye on it. There's always yeah. something funky that happens in Australia. That's a funky one uh, to circle. But all right, one category to go here, and we kind of referred to it a little bit earlier. But uh, I want to talk about some of the non-top ten players again uh, that can end up potentially uh, making either you know quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of this event. Of course, uh, there are so many candidates we can pick from from the women's side. So let's do that last. Let's go to the men's next because. You know, it feels like you're always penciling in a spot for Djokovic, for Nadal, when he's playing for Federer. You know, nowadays you probably draw one in for Dominic Team as well. So you think, okay, the oh, well, I guess there's no Federer in this tournament. So let's presuppose that three guys are locks. You know, mm-hmm. Djokovic, Nadal, Dominic Team's a lock. I would probably make Daniil Medvedev a lock as well. Uh, just because I don't know how any non-top 10 player can beat the guy in three out of five sets, just physically what he can do. Is it fair to make him a lock? Can we, for the quarterfinals? The draw dependent. For the quarters, for the quarters, maybe. I, I just feel with Medvedev, you know, when it's on his racket, when he's in his zone, he is virtually untouchable. But there is the ability to get in his head. I mean, so mm-hmm. a lot True. of the time you a lot of the time you don't beat Medvedev, you make him beat himself. Mm-hmm. And there is a little bit more time to do that across best of five sets so it's it's always tough for me at a slam to kind of predict how Medvedev will play ahead of time I think once he gets going you have more of an idea um I wouldn't be confident enough to say he's a lock but I I would definitely you know I I, it would be a surprise if he went out early let's put it that way well then no I'm fine not calling him a lock that works for me I prefer a spicier take (laughs) let's say he's not a lock then but the first three guys team Nadal Djokovic you want to call them locks we can agree we can do. I mean, uh, despite team start to the season, yeah. you know, we, we can do. We never quite know what he's going to. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a difficult one for team because, you know, the coaching situation, things are a little bit more different for him this time around. But, you know, he, he was phenomenal last season. So, yeah, give him a lock. Let's okay. go. So, so we'll say five spots locked. Then you have the five we talked about at the start. Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Berrettini. Now, by math, by tennis by just the laws of the tennis gods one of them's not making the quarterfinals i don't remember the last slam where the top eight seeds all made the quarterfinals it had i can't imagine it happens very frequently uh so that you know again means that someone outside of the top 10 is probably going to make a run to the quarterfinals semifinals further than that which of these players in the men's game right now and this is the perennial question do you circle as the ones to watch. So this is um, players who can make semis outside top 10. I've got mm-hmm. two names written down here that you haven't even mentioned for this Beaut- category. Oh, so- beautiful. Let's hear them. <laughs> so this, you did mention one of them for the other category though, but you kind of said that they were too far along to fully go in there. Yannick Sinner, oh. who made the quarterfinals at the French Open and despite going out in straights to Rafael Nadal, was taking it to him in that opening set. I thought Nadal was in serious trouble there. And that was probably probably the most um, I felt that Nadal was in trouble during that tournament. I was quite confident taking him against Djokovic in the final. I thought Sinner, you know, the, the young pretender, you know, the upcomer, the underdog, who was playing so well, who'd taken out Zverev and kept his cool, I thought he was a real danger. And then not only did he have that breakout Grand Slam run, 
but he backed it up by winning his last tournament of the year at the Sofia Open. Now, interesting for me, we all know about Sinner at this point, great athleticism, great feel. He, he's kind of, he's got the full package. He just needs to flesh it out a little bit more and develop it still further. There's a little bit of a pattern that helps me kind of put him here as a potential last four. It's because I think the last, the last kind of three years, you've had a younger guy that's kind of pushed through and made their debut semi-final. I, I did write them down somewhere, I think, but I it know was them Chung the won the next gen finals, and yes. he did it 2019, uh, 18. Pass 20 won it, and then did it 2019. Tiafo made that quarterfinal, I think. Yeah, I, I think it, it's something yes. like that, right? It's yeah. along those lines, and I, I'm glad that you remember that. So, yeah, and that was particularly stood out for me. I mean, Kyle Edmund also, as that well. That was the other uh, one, the, the, same the year, year before. Chung. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, Edmund and Chung, the same year, actually. And Luca Pui did it that Luka year Pui. as well. He was yeah, the yes. other funky one. Yeah, there was um, there was Sitsipus, Sitsipus as well. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Sitsipus made his breakthrough in the semis here, and I just noted that pattern of the younger guys, particularly you know Chung, and it was yeah Chung and Sitsipus uh-huh. who had both of them won next gen finals. Yeah. I'm not sure. So, so, yeah, yeah they, so both they of won them the had. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, we didn't have a next gen finals last year. Mm-hmm. So let's put it this way: Chung and Sitsipus won the last tournament of the season, and then made semis. What Sinner just done? He won his last tournament of the season. So he kind of, I, I maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's superstitious. I don't know, but it, it does patterns reoccur, you know. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's that that development of gaining confidence that's needed to kind of push you on. And I, I think that Sinner, you know, best of five is always a struggle for the for the younger players that haven't quite reached their physical peak yet. But I think he's proving that, you know, he's taking all the necessary steps to to make his breakthrough. If it's not here sometime soon, but I think the pattern works for him to potentially do it here. Well, Yannick Sinner, the 2019 Next Gen Finals winner, and he didn't make the 2020 Australian Open semifinals, so he's due, right? Mm, Chung did yeah, it. Exactly. Pass did it. I agree with you. I think that's a really good name. I'm going to go with the guy Sinner beat in that 2019 Next Gen Finals. I'm going to go with Alex Diemenauer, who... I just think has been, you know, really, really good uh, on hard mm. courts, uh, particularly of late. And you look for Demon Hour, uh, and, you know, he dealt with injuries uh, throughout the course of the 2020 season, but he enters the season ranked number 20, or enters this event ranked number 23 in the world, uh, which is five off his career high of number 18. You look in his last 52 weeks he's 16 and 10 but he did or he did start this season in Antalya with a victory uh there he did get a win over David Goffin three sets in the semifinals he beat Bublik after Bublik retired in the finals you look for him last uh he also made the final in Antwerp uh before losing to Ugo Umber lost a three set round of 16 match in Paris to eventual champion Daniil Medvedev lost a quarterfinal three set match to eventual Sofia champion Yannick Sinner and I just think you look for Alex Diemenauer what he's done in his career at the ATP level on hard courts he is you know he's been really 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 good you look for him thus far he is now in his career 75 and 41 in all ATP matches on hard courts obviously was a quarter finalist last year at the U.S. Open played really well at the ATP Cup last year that's where he got his injury but Again, his last two hardcourt slams, round of 16 U.S. Open, quarterfinals U.S. Open. I I just think, you know, I, I was watching the ATP Cup 
his on-the-run forehand defies physics. Like, how that ball stays in the court, I will never understand. But the guy is just maybe the quickest player the, like on a hard court the game has seen in quite a bit of time. It's Monfils level, and you don't say that lightly, but there just seems to be no ball out of his grasp. And to get back to the theme of this podcast, when other parts of the game aren't working, uh, th- when you have traits you can turn to, that's a huge thing, and Demon Hour has that trait. The other thing I have in my category, I think— uh, and this applies to the men and the women. Anyone who is from Australia is a dark horse in this event because mm. what they've had to go through the past month is just objectively easier than what everyone else has had to go through. And so, if you're an Australian, as Demon Hour is, you have the home court advantage, you have the condition slight advantage. Give give me Demon Hour to make a quarterfinal run here at a minimum. I mean, draw dependent, obviously. Yeah, I like the mention of that name. I always like to mention, actually, the first time I saw Demon Hour properly, like, live, was in 2017. I was watching, he was playing one of my friends in Challenger qualifying, and he lost the match, but I was like, wow, this kid's good, you know, he's got to make a move at some point. Within a few months, you know, he was winning on the ATP circuit. I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, So Demon Hour is someone I've rated for a long time. The one thing I would say, his athleticism is off the charts. It is unreal, the speed that he has around that court just compared to some other players i i maybe this is me being harsh and picky but i don't think he has so much of a knockout punch that would be really helpful to him you know across a best of five set match i, I think that's something to take into consideration for me, i think he's been making great progress very impressed with him like you say a, another advantage for the aussies is the home advantage you know they love that atmosphere and they feed off that so that will be helpful to him uh, just quickly john millman is a name that i mentioned forgot to mention outside the top 30 that could go deep he had a great run against federer last year loved the atmosphere there and was was feeding off it um but yeah for, for dimino i'm just i'm just not sure if he needs to have have that extra little bit of edge to push him that bit further. That might just be my opinion. I, I might be completely wrong, uh, but that was what, because his, you know, his name crossed my mind, but that was what held me back from putting him down for this particular section. Just the facts that I don't know if it went long and hard. I'm not sure if he would have the finishing shots for that. Well, you probably, I agree with you in, in, in a matchup, you probably being the metaphorical you in a matchup with Berrettini, we like Berrettini probably, right? Because yeah. just in the fourth, fifth set, what's going to be easy? And it's the Berrettini serve and forehand combo. And it's, you know, for Demon Hour, every point is such a grind. And he's the sort of athlete that can make that grind work over the course of five sets. But for him to do that for five, six, seven matches in a row, we'll see if he's capable of it. Certainly quarterfinals mm. at the U.S. Open is encouraging that's why I wanted to mention him other guys I have in this in this category Shapovalov for similar reasons uh FAA because it's going to happen eventually folks and to (laughs) anyone you know this is one of my pet peeves is to anyone who for every second you spend praising Yannick Sinner I want to spend an additional second praising FAA as well because I, I think anyone who like thinks Yannick Sinner just by virtue of making a quarterfinal at one grand slam has surpassed FAA I'll show you six ATP finals FAA <laughs> has in his back pocket and every record he sent uh set on the challenger tour as a 14 15 16 year old and so it's gonna happen eventually why not now uh the other ones Grigor Hercots and Kyrgios just all names I- I'll-, I'll continue to take a flyer on as guys I just for a variety of reasons am I missing anyone 
Well, I've got one. Um, I think you've got a lot of, um, and I'm not, I'm not saying I any of them couldn't make the run. Yeah, you definitely. A lot, a lot of young, kind of sometimes flashy players as well that have some, mm -hmm. you know, some big, sharp weapons. You know, love what all of those guys can do at the end of the day. I, th I think, you know, Sinner would be my lead contender for a younger guy that can push through. Kyrgios, you know, we have to mention him. We have to give him a mention. My concern for him is that he's pretty much not played for a year. And the thing that's cost him at Grand Slams in recent times is the physical fitness you know he's he's not physically fit that he can go at full pelt for a full five sets and sometimes he has taken to those battles at this event so i just i just don't know if it would be too much too soon for kyrios particularly i don't know if you want to add anything to that before i go on to the other name that i had or well i can add confirmation to a conf uh, conversation we were having earlier as we were speaking the atp tour events confirmed they will not be shortened this week they're going to try and play them out all wta matches from friday on though will be best of two regular tiebreak sets with a 10 point match tiebreak if days. required for a final set so there you go what do you think of that I... sorry a little little breaking <laughs> news here west give me the breaking news yeah. sound effect Well, um, I, I hate to see that happen, you know, even in doubles, I'm not a fan of that match tiebreak instead of a third set because I just think it cheapens the product. Like, I, I'm a big, you know, advocate for saying that doubles, you know, doesn't get the appreciation that it deserves. And I think the format has something, you know, to do with that. The fact that it is treated as a sideshow to the singles game, but, you know, in a situation like this, they're probably in a fortunate position in that they're going to be able to finish these tournaments. So at the end of the day, fair play to them. Do what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, again, we said earlier, uh, we wanted to see some sort of compromise. I suppose this is some sort of compromise here. <laughs> we'll see for the men who are in the round of 16, the players who have to double up. Uh, that's when I'm certain some people may, may opt not to. We are, I bet we see a bunch of retirements Friday afternoon. That would mm. be my early prediction uh, for some of or for the result of this news. But, uh, yeah, I, again, I, I, I like all of your names. I, I think these are there are so many players, uh, particularly of the young variety, those are the ones I keep circling who I think are ready. And it's just, you know, the the Songas, Simones of the world, the Chiliches of the world, who you could just pencil into round of 16s, they're not there anymore. And so the spots are open. And, you know, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, they're leading the pack, but there are a lot of dangerous young guys out there as well. Let's switch gears. Final topic, the non-top 10 women, Sakari, Rybakina, both. Oh, am I missing a man? Yeah, you got yeah one I've, I've got to give you my last name, which oh, isn't a younger guy. Yeah, okay. okay give so it to me. We had we had Pablo Carreño Busto right, that had two consistent mm -hmm. you know runs at the slams continuously overlooked right. There's a similar guy that's kind of a threat, you know, similar kind of ranking zone and a similar way of being able to take on the top players and not be intimidated. Roberto Bautista Agut, who's just outside yeah. of the top ten, and yeah. traditionally play some of his best tennis at the beginning of the season the last couple of years okay we've seen him um i think it was it was 2019 where he twice beat djokovic from a set down djokovic not playing badly it was butista regret's ability to take him on you know he can move up the court he can use the whole court very well a lot of people tend to see spain you know and put them on a clay court but butista regret i think his best surface is hard courts and he he's um yeah i'm not going to go too in depth there because i i feel like you know we've spoken a lot about other players but I, ju I just wanted to mention his name because if we, you're not going to have a younger guy that's getting there to those final four 
you've got a very you know solid player there who does back himself against the big names and who does have the best of five experience has made it to a semi-final before on a fast surface at Wimbledon so yeah I think RBA definitely a name that you should not be writing off in this department it's actually tradition here on the podcast to write him off prior to the Australian (laughs) Open and just be proven wrong that's half the fun Uh, and so uh, but no I, I very much agree that's another name you have to add on that list Let's go now to the non-top 10 women and Sakari, Rabakina, both on our lists. Who are some of the other ones you would turn to? Okay, I'm going to come out with my big one, my kind of yes. my, my dangerous pick, okay? Let's do it. Okay. Um, she's, she's ranked pretty low, I think, at the moment, you know, in terms of top 100 ranking. I think her ranking is about number 89 in the world. But she's an 18-year-old. Her name is Leila Annie Fernandez of oh, Canada. And, a brilliant and selection. I tell you, she is the full package as far as the game goes. For me personally, uh, along with Iga Sriantek and Amanda Anisimova, she's one of the best three teenagers on tour. I think in every department, like I, I, I think the beginning of last year was when she really started taking off and I'm just kind of confirming her ranking there, 89 at the moment, yeah. So this is... It was made uh, largely for Fernandez. I wanted to see this draw before I made this call because potentially if she is going to make these later rounds, she's going to have to run through a number of seeds. You know, she could easily pull one of the, you know, one of the leading contenders. She could easily draw one of them straight off and not have a chance to get going. But, you know, she's such, she's such a great athlete. You know, when she's got her back against the wall, that's when she rises up. I've never seen a young player respond so well to facing break points than Leila Fernandez. She, she's just brilliant. Um, she's a lefty as well, which gives her that extra little bit of, you know, lethal weapon. She can play from all areas of the court. She's small, but she's fast. She can use timing to absorb, redirect the pace, work her way back into a point. The one thing that was missing for me that almost made me put her in the non-top 30 players that can make second week as opposed to the semifinals is the fact that she's a little bit lacking with big wins. So she did push Petra Kvitova at the French Open, actually was really giving her the runaround in the first set, but eventually lost that match. I think she needs a few more occasions where she's getting across the line against those big names. I think she was uh, first noteworthy to most when she beat Belinda Bencic during the Fed Cup when, when Canada took on Switzerland. And, you know, she has picked up one or two good wins since then. Just beat Sloane Stevens um, this week. She just beat Sloane Stevens, I think, for like the, the third time in less than a year or something crazy. So she, she backs herself. She's not intimidated. Um, and... I thought it wasn't fair to hold her back based on her not having the big wins because, you know, at the end of the day, how many big wins did Igor Sviantek have before she won the French Open? You know, if you're looking, and I didn't have the utmost confidence to go all the way and say, yeah, first time Grand Slam champion here because she's still young, but very much the same as on the men's side, there is a pattern on the women's side of a younger rising player always making their debut Grand Slam semi-final at the Australian Open. That's happened since 2013 when Sloan Stevens did it. And since then, we've had Eugenie Bouchard, Madison Keys, Johanna Conta, Coco Vandeweghe, Elise Mertens, Danielle Collins, and most recently, Sophia Kennan, who's the only one of those names that actually went all the way to the title. I, I think, you know, when you've got a rhythm like that, it can't really stop. And someone has to do it this year. From the names and the talent that I've got in front of me, I think Fernandez is a good shout. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, that's a perfect case. And stop me if you've heard this before. We could mention every name. And there's so many young <laughs> players out there from, you know, Anisimova to Coco Goff to uh, obviously Ann Lee and to Katie McNally. And as you know, I can't believe we didn't mention Marta Kostyuk. I can't mm. believe we didn't, you know, Layla Ann Fernandez on that list as well. She's probably at the top of that list, though, of who you, I agree, making a semifinal maybe because she is that talented and it's just such a well-rounded game. I agree with everything you said. I have a list of players who, again, probably vacillate. Well, I think Garbine Muguruza is someone we should have mentioned in the top of our conversation, mm. someone who could win the title. She was objectively one of the five best players during the 2020 season. She was like 25 and five in her matches or something crazy like that. And obviously Australian Open finalist, the bad loss at the French Open, but, uh, you know, was really, really good to start the season. She has looked so good in the opening week. I think in this category, Putin Seva, Alexandrova, Merton, Jabour, and Collins. I'd throw them all in there. I think those are the five names. One of them is ending up in the semifinals. I'm not sure which one of them it's going to be. It depends who goes where in the draw. But I really do feel like one of those five names is going to end up there. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Jabour. I put her down. She's someone that I've been asked about a lot over the past year. Do you think because of the place in the world that she's from as well? You know, she's uh, she, she, yeah, she's just fantastic for them, and she's got the depth in her game as well. I think it can really be utilized at the Australian Open. You know, of those names I mentioned previously, they semi finalists. Kennan's the first one of those that isn't really a power player. You know, more of a counter puncher. She's more kind of using guile and her uh, and her skills uh, to get across the line in matches, and I think that shows kind of the type of player that these courts can favor. And it's hard to say, you know, because the court plays differently from day to night. So it is really hard to just kind of go off conditions. But, you know, Jabir did make quarters last year, lost to Kennan. I think that she's a name. I wouldn't put her all the way for a Grand Slam title at the moment, but if she can make quarters last year, she can sure as heck make semis this year. You know, if she's got a decent draw. Uh, she has the the skill. She has the weapons in her repertoire. She can really mix it up. Uh, she's got the wins over big name players, uh, which get her to that kind of stage um, yeah like I say I'm not sure I see her going all the way yet but she's definitely a name for this category um, on, on top of that I mean it's hard to believe based on her recent form that Victoria as a ranker isn't ranked in the top 10 but yeah. she is just outside of it. She doesn't count. I I was <laughs> right on the bubble with her. That's a very good name though as well. Yeah she's I, I mean yeah, she, she maybe dropped off the slightest bit at the end of last year, but the way she was competing, you know, during the US Open and the week before, I'm still so impressed that her and Naomi Osaka made the final that week before the US Open and then were the US Open finalists because that's very rare, I feel, in, in the women's game to have form going into the Grand Slam and then back that up in the major itself. And honestly, to this day, I think Azarenka should have had that uh, US Open final. She had the right tactics. She was kind of blowing Osaka off the court at the beginning of that one. And then I don't know what went wrong, but she stopped moving Osaka around when it was working. And Osaka, she's built for these big stages and big moments. She doesn't need to be asked twice. And she was right back into it. But really, you know, the way Azarenka was going to win that match was to shut Osaka out and not let her get going. She let her get going and paid the price. But, you know, I keep talking about confidence, but it's such a key factor and you can't underestimate the confidence for Azarenka after years of, of trying and failing and trying and struggling and just keeping going at it 
and that that self-belief that she had to know that she you know her form of old that put her up there with serena williams and maria sharapova and that rivalry you know she always had the belief that she could bring it back and i think if she can deal with those years of uncertainty the problems she had off the court the problems she had on the court she can deal with anything that comes her way now and i think she's back in that big moment mentality and you know if not semi-finals or beyond then then second week you know she should be straight up there for making it that deep yeah uh no i i think you nailed it and i think what's going to make this australian open so exciting is in both the men's and the women's game now it's become quite clear that we're in the midst of a generational shift and it's happening across multiple generations it's not just from the serena williams to the naomi osaka it's the garbine muguruza simona Halep's, madison keys carolina pliskova's in between on the men's side obviously it's not just from djokovic to sinner there's still rayonich dimitrov and everyone in between as well and I think that's what's going to make uh, this whole 2021 season so exciting is 2020 could have produced a lot of upset results, a lot of shocking tennis, and we did get the big one for the men at the U.S. Open, but hopefully we just have more opportunities to play during this 2021 season because certainly if we do, uh, there could be some very, very fun results across both tours. With that in mind, my last question before I let you go, and you can choose to defer this answer to later on in the week, but I will follow up with some sort of Twitter DM. Do you want to give me your predictions for the men's and women's champions? I mean, the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) um i can i can you know do you know what i i should do this um this is very very much subject to change okay because i haven't seen the draw yet and that and the the draw has a massive impact um it's even harder than usual because we haven't seen much lead up into these events and and usually the australian opens unpredictable anyway because you don't know who's going to have the better start I've been so convinced by men's side first, right? I've been so convinced by Rafael Nadal's form in recent times, but as well as he plays, as much as he changes to get that bit further on hard courts, there always seems to be someone that gets into their zone and stops him. It was the tiniest of drop-offs that saw him lose that semi-final to Medvedev at the ATP finals, and Medvedev went all the way. Um, and we, we've seen it time and time again at Wimbledon as well. He comes up against a zoning, zoning opponent, an opponent last round. It's got to be so frustrating for him. So for that reason, despite his form, despite his grit and tenacity and, and his general brilliance, Nadal would not be the lead contender for me. I think that team, if he can get his form of last year back, can, I mean, because it was team that beat Nadal last year, right? So I, I think that, I don't think that team would, for example, go through Nadal and Djokovic to win. But I think if there's an upset elsewhere, he can capitalize and get a big a big name victory to come out on top. But at, at the end of the day, it can't really look past Novak Djokovic. A- until we've seen him really falter, you know, on a best of five stage. I think, you know, with his history at the event, I shouldn't have done this because I'm not even going to call him outright. But just for me at the moment, he is the lead contender. Let's put it that way, which is not a daring pick because, you know, he's top of the (laughs) rankings. But I think there are a lot of contenders there and he leads the pack. Sometimes it's better to be right than daring. I think for Djokovic, he has to be aware of this. The window 
it's not closed for him to get to number 20, to him to get to 21, to be the leader in the pack that mm-hmm. had you asked everyone pre-pandemic at the start of 2020 after he won that Australian Open, is Novak Djokovic going to get to 20 grand slams? The answer was an unequivocal yes. It's still a resounding yes, but I don't know if it's unequivocal anymore. Mm-hmm. If he wins this grand slam, he stays the course. Now it's okay. You keep the pressure on Nadal. He's got to follow up and win another French Open title. Otherwise, the gap is two, and you have Wimbledon, where Djokovic is going to be favored heavily, and then you have the U.S. Open, where he's also going to be favored heavily. And so I don't think that's a bad pick. That's probably where I am leaning as well. I'm not going to give my pick yet because we'll give a whole picks podcast for our listeners to save later, but I'm leaning very much. I mean, spoiler, yes, that's going to be my pick. The women's is way harder, obviously. And I, yeah. I, I'm trying to buy time for you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to <laughs> um, here. But no, yeah, I don't need it. time because, you know, we could sit here all day and still not come <laughs> exactly. to a conclusion. So you've just got to say, name. I mean, the more we've thought about this and the more we've gone through, you know, the, the kind of unpredictability of the eventual champion, you know, the more easy it is to just throw a name like Maria Sakkari out there and be done with it because I'm not going to feel bad if I get it wrong because it's unpredictable <laughs> for everyone, you know. Um, I think Diana you know, Yastremska, good pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish she can go to the side, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I think you know I had so much faith in Azarenka at the US. Osaka was my front runner all the way through, but towards the back end, I had so much faith in Azarenka and she didn't ultimately deliver, so I waver there. Um, you know, it, it, when Osaka's focused, it's hard to look past her, really, unless Andrescu can come back physically fit. And that's a big ask for her at the moment. Um, then I, I think Osaka's your front runner, but do not write off Ashley Barty because I know she hasn't played for a year, but she's the kind of player that likes a little bit of being under the radar. You know, I was at first concerned for her, how she would respond to being world number one, because obviously way back when, you know, she left the tennis scene for a bit just because, you know, she, she couldn't deal with the spotlight and the pressure. Um, she's coming into this that she hasn't had ideal preparation compared to other people. And that she's got nothing to lose, you know, points last year, you keep your best result, right, at this point in time. So, yeah, I think with the versatility that Ashley Barcy has and the way that she's risen up in recent years, don't be writing her off just because she hasn't played for a year. I think we could see something pretty special from her. I don't want to completely agree with you. I think that's a really good pick, though. That might be the way I'm leaning, in fact. And okay. I, after not talking about her, I, I might just take Belinda Benchich just on mm. principle because I'm yep. still on the Benchich bandwagon. But she crossed Barty's my mind, really you know. Pick. She crossed yeah. my mind. I, the thing is, Naomi Osaka, again, she's the only person in the women's game to ever reach the Serena stratosphere with her serve. It's going to be hard to mm. pick against her on a hard court throughout the course of her career. But, you know, that's the fun of getting to see all the action unfold is being wrong about your predictions and seeing that <laughs> surprise upsets to happen. So hopefully one of the many dark horses we discussed today will be able to make a breakthrough run. And even if they don't, uh, certainly we just want to see two weeks of safe and healthy tennis. And I know we also, uh, speaking for our listeners, are wondering when are we going to get to see more content from you? So for all of our listeners out there who may not follow or are curious what you are up to, where can they find all of your work and what can we expect? Uh, well, if you head to the tennis vlog 
I mean, because of my other work, doing commentary, etc., it's hard to have like a regular upload schedule these days, but I try to be consistent with the Grand Slams. So if you're looking for additional content to what you usually tune into during the Grand Slams, head to the Tennis Vlog on YouTube. Uh, we have uh, live Q&As at the end of each of the early rounds, and then we head into preview and predictions videos for the second week of competition. So yeah, tune in for those. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I promise you the next time we have you on this show, I will keep you for under an hour. But obviously, <laughs> all of us so excited for the first Grand Slam of the season. And I know I'm speaking for all of our listeners. I know I'm sincerely appreciative of you taking the time to chat with us. So thank you so much. As always, hope you stay safe and healthy. And, you know, again, don't be a stranger. A spot will be open for you. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. And shout out to Alex for staying up into the absurdly crazy hours of the morning to record this because we thought we were going to have the draws and we didn't, but he still did it. So thank you, Alex. I do what I can. Again, they, they're not going to see the Zoom video ever. My, my eyes were maybe a quarter of the way open the entire time. <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Stay safe, stay healthy. I'll chat with you soon. Thank you. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Abigail Johnson discussing the dark horses entering this year's Australian Open. A huge thank you to her again. Initially, this was an hour and a half conversation we recorded very late on Wednesday night, very early Thursday morning, however you want to look at it. And I appreciate her giving us the time that she did. And, you know, again, hopefully we talked about a lot of players. So hopefully you guys feel a little bit more prepared for this year's event. Obviously, it is different circumstances than ever ever before, but certainly we expect to see some fun tennis. And again, as I mentioned in the intro, we will be covering all of the action each and every day on our website, crackrackets.com. On the podcast front, that means recapping each day's scores on our mini break podcast, offering picks each morning on our GSP Ace of the Day segments and, of course, the various other things across our multiple other Crack Rackets platforms. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the, the mini-break podcast, Cracked Interviews, Inside Out, and Sideline Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel. And if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an editing job to do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. DKNG.co slash Cracked Open is the way to take advantage. You can take advantage of their offer for our Cracked Rackets fans. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guest, Abigail Johnson, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.